so thrilled that you're here. We've been in the middle of a series called The Good Gospel, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. It's been kind of been our inaugural series for, for Ethos Church, and, and we're going we're gonna to kind of take it just one step further again today. This is week number four, and originally there was only going to be four weeks in this series, but somewhere around week two, uh, we added, a, added an additional week, so we're going to close it out uh, next week. But, but the, the whole premise of the, of the series is kind of around the idea that, that, that Jesus really liked people who were nothing like him, and people who were nothing like Jesus liked him, which kind of like blows our religious minds and, and thinking because so often we assume that Jesus probably only really hung out with people who were nearly or closely as perfect as he was, and those who didn't even compare in the slightest would probably be ostracized from his presence, and really it was kind of the exact opposite of that. And so we've been going through that, and we just Recently, we're able to kind of get everything worked out with iTunes and our podcast. So if you want to catch up with us, you can check us out on iTunes and kind of see the, the previous week's teachings from there. But, 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 but this week, we want to take it just a little bit further. And I, I was thinking this week in preparation for this, for this message about the idea of a Christian. Like what, what, really, makes, what really makes a Christian? I, I thought for a moment how, how if we polled just say a dozen different people, if we polled a dozen different people in here this morning, we'd probably get... 12 different answers around, hey, what's a Christian to you? I think all of us kind of have a different, different idea of what a Christian is or, or who a Christian is. And, and kind of as a result, I think some of that really comes, or I should say some of that comes as a result of the fact that you never see the word Christian uh, in the New Testament. It's, it's not there. Like in the newer portion of our Bible, Jesus never refers to anybody as a Christian. And so, so I think consequently, we, we kind of, we, we, we've kind of, coined that term to be whatever we kind of want it to be. But, but Jesus, he did, he did have a term that was more specific that, that probably should have replaced the idea of a Christian, which is such a, a loose, loosely, defined, loosely defined word. And his term, was, his term was disciple. And really, disciple is just a fancy word that just means a follower of someone or something. And Jesus, he referred to those who were following him, to those who he invited to follow him. That's the invitation of Christ. Come follow me. By the way, the invitation of Christ isn't come be perfect or come be more religious or come try to figure everything out. The invitation of Jesus is, hey, just, just come follow me. What if I get it wrong, Jesus? Hey, no, no, don't. That's okay. Just kind of just keep following me. And, 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 and really, he, he's saying, hey, if, if, if you want to you follow me, you can be my disciple. And, and he even went so far as to really give us the distinguishing characteristic between a disciple of Jesus and, and really ev everybody or, or everything else. And we find this in John chapter, John chapter 13, verse, verse 34 and 35. And uh, we're going to throw this up on the screen for you. It's the magic of the air Bible. It's beautiful. We're living in a great generation where you can get the Bible anywhere. Right there is one of those places. Here we go. John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus speaking. And he's, he's, talking, to his, he's talking to his first original followers. And he says, hey, I want to give you guys a new command. I'm going to give a new command to you. In addition to the, to the Ten Commandments that Moses passed down, the other 600 that he kind of he came, I want to give you a brand new one that's going to super, kind of supersede and kind of really kind of just like, kind of do away with all the other commands. He said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So, so go ahead, love one another. By this, here it is, by this, everyone will know if you are my disciples, if you love one another. If you love one another, I want to talk uh, just for the next 
um, 85 to 95 minutes around the idea. I'm kidding, kidding. About 20 to 25 minutes around, around uh, uh, an idea that, that, that we've entitled um, and not but. And not but. So just, just hang with me and it'll make sense here in a little bit. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we have to come together this morning and really just, just celebrate who you are. God, no matter where we find ourselves in here today, we just ask that you would meet us right there. God, we're asking that we would see your son Jesus more clearly. For if we know that we see Jesus, if we we'll see him more clearly, God, everything else just kind of begins to, to make sense. And, and God, we, we love you so much. And we know that you love your Ohio State Buckeyes. So take them all the way to a national championship and make sure, if nothing else, that they just crush the team up north. In Jesus' name. Everybody agree? Said? Come on, come on. Um, I grew up in a, in a family with, with five other siblings. I'm the second oldest. I've got an older sister, uh, three, three, three younger brothers, and a younger sister. And, and in our home, kind of like every, everything goes. Like, like there really aren't many rules. My wife has experienced this firsthand. We come from pretty different families. In my home, we're very, very loud. Like we do loud. Like you ever see those, you know, like those, like those what are they called? Like pictures, frames, artwork. They say like, we do laughter, we do fun, we do whatever. Like, like ours was just like, we do loud. Like sometimes we do fun, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry. But we definitely always do loud, right? And so we're a really loud family. Like I just remember always playing football in the house. Like we'd have bean bags and we'd tackle each other and throw each other in the walls. And at one point, true story, one of my younger brothers, he's probably like seven or eight at the time, he grabbed some pool balls and he started throwing pool balls through the drywall. And I went upstairs to tell my dad. He's like, he's about maybe like eight, nine years younger than me. It's sad. I don't even know how old he is. But, but and, and I said, Dad, Austin's throwing pool balls in the wall. And they're going through the drywall. He goes, all right, I'll be right there. <laughs> like, like, this is the home that we, that we grew up in. Like, we are just, we're loud. And kind of as a result, I'm fairly loud. My wife is not loud. And we have two kids who also take more after me and are pretty loud as well. But, but, but we were always just kind of roughhousing and, and always just kind of goofing off and, and wrestling a lot. And, and I remember at a very young age, my dad, used to, my dad used to pin me down as well as my other siblings. And he would, he would, he would hold with one of his hands both of my hands over my head. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and then he would start to like, he'd start to tickle you. Like, which by the way, as I was preparing for this message today, I, was, I kept thinking about the word tickle. And I realized like that's a really weird word. You know, like when you say it, I, I literally, I was, I was trying so hard, like, what's another word I can use besides tickle? Like, it just, just seems, it almost felt like inappropriate to say in church. But, but nevertheless, there is no other word I know to use besides the fact that, that he would tickle me. You know that feeling you get when it's funny and you're laughing and that laughter, like 10 seconds later, turns to like severe, ferocious anger where you're like, like stop, stop tickling me, you know? Like you're so, like you're like, Dad, you know. And, and he, would, he would hold us down. He, he'd tickle us. And, and, and he, would, he would say this. He'd say, do you give up? Do you give up? And, of course, we'd say, no, no. And he'd say, if you give up, I'll stop tickling you. I give up. No, and then he'd stop. And he'd look at us. He'd say, son, you're a smucker. You don't give up. <laughs> what? This is like, this is evil torture. Like, okay, 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 okay. Do it again, Dad, you know. And he'd start again. He'd like, do you give up? No. Do you give up? Uh, yeah, I give up. Son, you're a smucker. You don't give up. Like, this is a true story. Like, like, you should pray for me because I'm still scarred. Because 
I, I do these things to my kids now. Like, Sophie's like, Dad, I'm so confused. Like, do you want me to give up or do you not want me to give up? Like, should I, should I, should I say stop or should I, should I power through? Should I just keep on, keep on going? It just kind of grew, I kind of grew up confused around that whole idea. And I think sometimes, in, in all honesty, I think when we look at the life of Jesus, it kind of brings a similar a similar emotion. Like, like I'm kind of confused right now, Jesus. Like, like are you, is, is, is it all about grace? Or, or, or is, it all about, is it all about truth? Like, like when, you look at the, when you look at the way that Jesus loved, it, it's, it's pretty messy. It's pretty confusing. It, it's, it absolutely feels really, really unfair. And, and, it's, and it, it feels consistently inconsistent. And I, and I think Jesus was, was honestly trying to, trying to tell us something. He said, hey, guys, hey, hey, if you want the world to know that you're my follower, you, you got to love, but not, not just any type of love. Don't love like your mama loved. Don't love like your daddy loved. you got to love like, like I've shown you how to love. If you ever want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you got to take a step back and look at what Jesus did. And if you want to know what Jesus meant when he said, love one another, you got to begin to examine the way in which he loved all of those around him. Because the, the tension through which Jesus loved ought to make us kind of feel a bit of tense, tension, tension our, our, ourselves. There's really a lack of comfort around, around how Jesus loved. In fact, in fact, as I was kind of preparing for this, I started to even just think through the idea that so often we, we we really kind of find ourselves on one side of the fence or another when it comes to loving like Jesus. We, we, we find ourselves kind of in the category where, where, where Jesus was super accepting, or we find ourselves in the category where, where it felt like Jesus was super limitating. Is limitating even a word? I just said that and I was like, limitating. Limitation is a word. Limit is a word. Limit, limitating. Limitating. <laughs> Let's take this out of the podcast. And so, but, but we find ourselves kind of on one extreme or the other. And, and honestly, it's because of the idea that we wrestle with this, we wrestle with this tension and we don't want to wrestle with it. It's our lack of comfort with this that causes us and it causes churches in, in their entirety to kind of fall on one side or the other. But, but I just want to say kind of the onset of our, of our, of our talk today that, that I don't think that was ever Jesus' intention. I don't think he ever wanted us to, to be on one side. I think he wanted us to, to be comfortable in the middle of that, of that tension. See, in John chapter 1, we, we see the Apostle John, one of Jesus' original 12 young men who committed their lives to following Jesus, we, we see him pen something that is, that is so beautiful. See, see, John was at the very end of his life when, when he began to, to pen and, and author the book of John. It was about 40 to, to 45, 50 years at the most after the events in the life of Jesus. And, and all of John's friends had already passed on. Many of them had been martyred. Some of them had, had, just, had just passed on. Some of them just kind of, we don't really know what happened to them. But, but we know that John was still alive and and he was the, the oldest of the original 12, and he lived the longest of the, original, of the original 12. And some of the guys who were closest to John, some of his, some of his young followers, they, they, actually, they actually approached John and said, John, we love the stories you tell about Jesus, but you're getting kind of old. Will, will you write these things down? Like we, we want to we keep these forever. We want to pass these on to our kids and to, to, our, to our grandkids. And so, so John agreed, and he began, 
he began to write John. He, he really wrote the first chapter of John, which I believe is, in my opinion, is one of the most beautifully poetic chapters in, 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 in all of the New Testament, the newer portion of our Bible. And, and he says in verse 14, and listen, listen to how John writes this. He says in verse 14 of chapter 1, he said, he said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He's referring to Jesus. The word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh, kind of lived within human form and, and, and dwelled and, and hung out among us. And he says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now just, just hang with me here for a second. Um, I, I forgot to tell the team if they could put the dye in here, and this is going to help me out a little bit. We got a little, little truth bottle over here. Some, some yellow. We got a little grace bottle over here. Some blue. John says that, that Jesus came with, with both, full of grace and truth. Now, now before we kind of move forward here, I want to kind of, I want to kind of, I want to kind of draw this out. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we, I, 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 kind of, I kind of enjoy history a little bit. And I really enjoy teaching, but I find myself leaning sometimes more towards kind of exhortation. And I kind of want to teach this for just a moment. Sometimes it's equally as important when we read the Bible to not just see what it says, but to recognize what it does not say. I was looking at the original language when it, when it came to, to grace and truth. And, and it's very specific that he came with grace and truth. I began to think about this for a moment, and, and it dawned on me that, that, that John did not write that he came with grace, but, but truth, or that he came with truth, but, but, but also grace. And we're going to draw that out here in just a moment, but, but, but I want us to think about this for just a second. I kind of need my notes because I want to I teach this, and if you're here last week, I did not have notes, which was a whole lot of nervousness up here, but, but, uh, but, but, but the idea that he came with both grace and truth. We've got Grace on one side, truth on the other. Some, sometimes when we look at the life of Jesus and the way in which he loved, Jesus would say things like, hey, you're forgiven, right? But, but you're, also, you're also accountable. Hey, you're fine, but, but you're also you're broken. He'd say, hey, it's, it's going to be okay. Hey, you, you, you kind of need to get your act together here. Hey, you, you, are, you are loved no matter what you do, but, but hey, you, you need to start moving forward and in, in maturing in a, in a more, more deep relationship with me. And here's what John said. He, said. he said, Jesus came full of grace and And truth. He poured all of who he is into grace and, and truth. Now this is, this is really important for us to understand, especially, especially as a community, especially as I think this is so important for followers of Jesus to understand, but, but, but right now all, all that I know is that, that for us as a community, as a, as a church, this, this, is, this is who I believe that we are. This, this is this is the direction that I believe that God is calling ethos, ethos to go. See, I, I like the verses 
that refer to, to grace when it's about me. And, and I'm okay with the verses that refer to truth when it's about you. But, but I don't always like when the, the opposite is true or when they, when they sometimes both come, come together. See, see, Jesus even goes a bit further. And he, and he says in verse 16 and in verse 17, or rather John goes a bit further in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He says, out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace. Already giving, meaning grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, an abundance of God's grace. And he says this, for the law, the Ten Commandments plus the 600 others that we see in the book of Exodus, they were given through Moses. They were passed down through Moses. But grace and truth came, literally came in bodily form through Jesus Christ. Not the balance between grace and truth, but the fullness of both grace and truth. So it's not grace but truth, truth but grace. It's the fullness of both grace and truth. In every situation, Jesus was full of both of those things. We see this consistently throughout the stories of Christ. In fact, in John chapter 4, we see the story of the, of the Samaritan woman at the well. And and, and, and really the fact that Jesus even begins to speak to this lady is, is a personification of grace all by itself. See, Jesus, a Jew, should never be speaking to this woman, a Samaritan. There's a huge race war between these two people groups in first century Jewish culture. And, and Jesus shows up. He doesn't have his 12 buddies with him at this time. They, they kind of go off. They're trying to find some food in the village. And Jesus resting at this well. And, and lo and behold, there's a woman. And he begins to strike up this conversation with this, with this Samaritan woman. And, 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 and things are going well. And, and Jesus says to the woman, hey, hey, I would love to meet your husband. Why don't you go into town and bring him back out? And the woman says, oh, sir, I, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, oh, that's right, you don't. And, and Jesus, he, he reaches down into the most shameful place of her life and, and, and in one sense, the, the following statement that Jesus makes, like, for, for me, kind of taking different classes and, and kind of understanding, like, people, like, this is, not, this is not how you earn someone's good graces. Like, this isn't what you do. Jesus looks at says, oh, yeah, I know you don't have a husband. You, you, you had five husbands. You screwed up all of those relationships. And, 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 and then the man that you're living with right now, he's not your husband either. And the woman kind of, uh, oh, yeah, uh, I love the line that she says. She says, uh, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Like, ding, ding, ding. Like, yeah. Like, doesn't take a rocket science to figure that one out, lady. And, 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 but then he, then he kind of goes back to this grace. And, and Jesus looks him in the eyes. And he says something to her that he, had, that he had never revealed to anybody else up to this point. And he says, you are standing face to face right now with me, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he just pours out grace into her life again. The woman kind of goes off. She begins to celebrate. She tells all of her friends in the town, she's like, you're not going to believe who I just met. The guy just read all of my mail, and, and he still cared deeply about me. There's, there's, the, there's the, the, the interesting story in, in Matthew chapter, chapter 9, the story of, of Jesus inviting Matthew to come follow him. And Matthew at the time, he's, he's a tax collector. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about, about the fact that, that Jesus seemed to hang out a lot with tax collectors. And, and people that day, they did not like tax collectors. And, and rightfully so. Like, you and I would not like tax collectors. Like, these would be the people that we would want to punch, like, every single day of our lives. And so, like, this is, 
This is, this, it would seem kind of odd that this is the guy that Jesus invites to come follow him. In fact, at this point, Jesus already has a handful of guys who, are, who have been invited to follow, a handful of disciples. And so these guys are with Jesus, and they're kind of approaching Matthew, who's in the moment, he is sitting at his tax-collecting booth. Like he's in the act of collecting taxes, of taking advantage of people's money, of people's family, of people's livelihood. And, and Jesus sees him and he says, oh, Matthew, hey, guys, come on, come on, it's Matthew. And they're like, yeah, we, we know who he is. And Jesus, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Matthew's like, what do I do with all this stolen money? It's like, uh, <laughs> Jesus is probably like, well, give it back, dude. Like, but, 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 but more so, the guys who are following Jesus, they're, they're thinking in that moment, um, Jesus, sir, um, <laughs> you're a smart guy. I know you are. Um, but maybe you're not aware. That's a tax collector. His name's Matthew. Yeah, guys, I know. I know. Okay, cool. Okay, well then, are you concerned, Jesus, that, that people are going to think that you're condoning tax collecting? Uh, to answer your question, no, I am not concerned. Um, okay, okay, but, but if, if we accept him into our group, are, are you concerned that maybe people aren't going to give you the same authority or credence that they, they once gave you when they kind of see who's, because Jesus, I don't know about you, but, but like my mom, she knows I'm hanging out with you and she really likes you. You do a lot of cool miracles and stuff. So she's for that, but like if she finds out that Matthew's a part of our clique now too, like that's not going to be good for us. And so you're going to end that relationship. And Jesus says, look, if you're concerned about your reputation, We'll just wait until we go to Matthew's house later because we're about to have a party and it's going to really turn up around 6 o'clock. So you probably might want to just let go of the whole reputation thing at this point. If you're following me, just, just come, man. Just, just don't look back. And it doesn't make sense, though. And then maybe the greatest illustration and story of them all is, is in John chapter 8 when, when there's a bunch of religious leaders, kind of the pompous, arrogant folks of the day, they they catch this woman in the very act of adultery and they pull her out into the street in front of everybody and, 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 and they, they throw her in the center of a circle of men who all have stones getting ready to, to end her life. And, and they see Jesus, hey Jesus, come here. Hey, this lady, she was caught in the act of adultery. We caught her in the very act. To which Jesus, he doesn't say a word. He kind of looks around, he steps down into the center where the woman is and, he leans over and he kind of gets down into the dirt on the woman's level, which I think is a beautiful picture, an indication of the fact that Jesus is always willing to get messy with us, no matter what messy situation we find ourselves in. And, and, and he, he looks up at all the people and he, he says, hey, hey, fellas, all of you with the stone, whoever, whoever has never sinned before, I'm going to give you full permission, throw your first stone, go for it. They're like, uh, have you ever sinned before? Like, uh, yes. Uh, have you? Yeah. Okay. Mm and they just start dropping their stone one by one and, and, and walking away. And eventually all of, all of the, all the men have gone and, and Jesus looks at the woman down in the dirt and he, he says, he says, ma'am, he says, where, where are all your accusers now? And she, she looks up for the first time. She says, nowhere, Lord. And he looks at him and he says, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I, I, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. 
He does not say, I don't condemn you, but, but go and sin no more, which would be an indication of the fact that if you sin some more, I might condemn you. He says, now, now I don't condemn you. Now go and, and, sin, and sin no more. Because Jesus is in one sense saying, the truth is, lady, you are a sinner. And grace is, I don't condemn you. And no one could ever love you more than I love you right now in your deepest, darkest, most shameful place of your life. Do, do you know, though, why we, why we can't let go of truth? We, we can't let go of truth because, because sin has a gotcha. And, and, and I don't want it to get you. And, but, but we also can't let go of grace because, because the reality is that, that sin has already got us. It's got all of us. And grace is what keeps us right with God. And what grace is what attracts us back to God. And so, so we got to have grace and truth. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that the church, big C, capital C church, like the greater global church, is at its best when it embraces both grace and truth and refuses to let go of one or the other. We have to have both. We have to be willing to live in the tension of both. I'm going to have Colton come up and help me close this out on keys. I think so, so often in, in, in our lives, we, we forget that, that as followers of Jesus, we are the only expression on earth for, for who Jesus wants to show himself to be. And as his expression, as, as his hands and as his, and as his feet, as his eyes and as his mouthpiece, we, we have to be so aware of living in the middle of the tension of I don't condemn you, now go and sin and sin no more. You know, my, my, my daughter, Sophia, she's nine years old, and, and a couple weeks ago I'm putting her to bed, and, and we always have, like, these interesting conversations at bedtime. Of course, bedtime's like, she always wants to talk, like, all the time. She got that from her mom, just cannot shut up. And, but, but, but... But like bedtime, like it goes to another level. We're like, okay, baby, like we had all night to share these stories. Like, why now? You know? But but we're we're starting to kind of go to bed and and, and I, I'm going through my whole routine with her. And I kind of do this whole thing where I say, Sophia, I say, who's my princess? And she says, Me. How much do I love her? She says, This much. I say, I say, uh, I say, if I lined up all the little girls in the whole wide world and only choose one of them, who would I choose? She says, Me. And then she said, Daddy, I love you. I said, you know what, baby girl? I said, I love you too, but, but let me ask you, why do you love mommy and daddy? Why do you love them? And she said, so matter of fact, with, without hesitation, she said, because you love me. And I said, yeah, that's so good, baby. I said, but can, can I ask you something? I said, did you know that no matter what you do or what you don't do, no matter where you've been or where you haven't been, you know daddy will, you know daddy will always love you, right? She says, yeah, yeah, dad, like, like I know that. And I said, how do you know that though? She said, because I'm your daughter. Like so matter of fact, like you don't have an option. Like you have to, you know? And I thought, baby, that's, that's so true. It's as simple as that. <laughs> it's grace and truth. Not grace, but truth. See, grace and truth. Let's throw this slide up there for me, Christina. Grace, grace and truth declares you did wrong and I love you because of you. Grace, 
but truth would, would declare, you did wrong, but, but I love you kind of in spite of you. You know, in God's story, you are the focus of his celebration. You, not what you've done, not what you haven't done, just, just, just you. See, in your story, you're always going to try to figure out why God loves you. And, and, and you're always going to continue to find reasons why he shouldn't love you. You're always going to feel unworthy of his love. And you're always going to find reasons to feel unworthy. But, but here's my invitation to you and here's my advice to you. Here's my suggestion to you. That you let go of your story and you begin to embrace his. Because in his story, he loves you no matter what you've done. In his story, he doesn't love you because of what you've done. In his story, he could not love you more and he will never love you less. See, in, in his story, he invites you to be a part of changing the world through grace and truth. When we marry these two things together, this is the picture of John 13, verse 34 and 35, where Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love the world, all of those around you, as I have loved you. I love you. Do you know where I've been? Yes, I do. Do you approve of it? Not really. But I still love you. But does that mean I don't belong in your community, in your family, with your, with your people? No, it, it means you absolutely belong there. How does it mean that? Because I belong there too. Because if you knew, we all have a story to tell. But the story that you tell is not the fullness of the story that you really have to tell. Because there's always those parts of your story that you don't tell people because it's still something you're dealing with right now. Like we love the stories where it's like, yeah, seven years ago, strung out on drugs. God saved me. Like seven years ago, that's amazing. Celebrate that. We hate the stories where we're like, yeah, last night, looked at pornography. Really messed up. Like, uh, last night? Yeah, last night. I don't think you belong here. Oh, but that guy, he, he, he was a drug addict seven years ago. Yeah, that was seven years ago, dude. I, I think that's, that's the opposite of what Jesus is representing. That's, that's the opposite of grace and truth. That's leaning towards one side or the other. I pray that we be a church where people feel compelled and comfortable to share the reality, the fullness of their stories because there's such a judgment-free zone. You know, anybody ever been to Planet Fitness before? Like, like that judgment-free zone? Like they feed you pizza and donuts and like, now come work out. You're like, that's my kind of gym. Like, like, cause we're all eating pizza and donuts outside of the gym, but nobody wants, everybody's like, yeah, I had a kale smoothie this morning. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, and afterwards I ate like a whole box of pizza <laughs> and brownies too. You're like, nobody shares that stuff. Somebody just last week was like, man, I, I heard like you drink a smoothie every morning, like this kale and spinach smoothie. I'm like, yeah, it's true. And then every afternoon I eat a bunch of chocolate too. <laughs> like, like that's grace and truth, right? Like, I don't know why I'm getting into all of this, but nevertheless, I just, I just feel like God is up to something special. And I just, I want us to get it right. And I know we won't always get it right, but, but I, want us to, I want us to live in that tension of trying to get it right. Because the easiest thing to do would just be all grace or all truth. I just don't think it's the best 
just don't think it's the best way. I want to invite you to be a part of, of God's story, to abandon your story. I believe it's the story of grace and truth, of truth and grace. I believe it's the story of Jesus. I believe it's the story of Ethos Church. I, I look forward to a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, 25, 30 years from now, when we are a community full of people who thought, man, I, I didn't feel accepted anywhere, but I found a home at Ethos. They didn't just excuse my sin, they embraced my sin because they had already embraced it.